Wow. We are already on the 10th episode of When Survival Looks Like Success. And if this was a radio show, I would insert some kind of like prices right style sound like ding 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 like you know when you used to what was it like plinko was that the name of that where it was like all the little things dropping I don't know that's a sound that goes through my head when I think that I'm on the 10th episode of this podcast that I started um but I'm just making up my own sound effects over here so you know bear with me you can put whatever sound effect that works in your head could be the plinko sound could be jackpots whatever sound effect you want to use to celebrate. I picked this episode specifically to talk about a very hard topic. And that was the goal the entire time. The further and further we went into this podcast, we would be talking about some pretty harsh topics that a lot of people have trouble discussing, even with their therapists or loved ones. But I think it's really important to just go there and have that material and have that content out there so that other people just don't feel so alone in this or they can reach out. And I always encourage you for any of these topics, please reach out, especially if you need a resource, because I have a giant resource and referral network and I can help you out. I got you. So this topic is about my binging disorders, and there are a lot of them. So I've always been a kind of a collector type of person. I have tons of Beanie Babies. They're still in my basement. I loved those Kooshlings when I was younger. They were like Koosh balls with like heads and bendable feet. I was obsessed. I had them all. Barbies, I still have a ton. They're in my basement as well. Stuffed animals, I had so many that I think there was more stuffed animals than bed. And on and on and on. I loved watching cartoons, but it was like nonstop growing up. When my cousins and I would play restaurant in my grandma's basement, we did it for like seven hours straight. And not just like one day. We would do it seven hours straight like you were working at an actual restaurant day after day after day after day after day. We're talking like I put in like a 40-hour work week in my grandma's basement serving imaginary people. (laughs) Like... I still look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was nuts. We did it for like an entire summer. I once watched Grease with my cousin every day for an entire summer. And I kind of never reflected on any of that till I was older. And it has a lot. And I mean a lot to do with my obsessive compulsive disorder. It definitely manifests from fixation and compulsion. So if fixation and compulsion had a horrible love child... That's that's obsessive compulsive disorder and it's binging. And all of those things I mentioned that I did as a child were completely fine. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, my kid does all of this. Like, do not freak out about that. But for me, it was far more than just indulging. It was extremely, extremely compulsive with a lot of attachments and emotional attachments that were very damaging that would occur if any of those things I was doing like stopped. What was really disruptive was the way I felt. And I want to give you an example. So say I wasn't able to watch Grease that one day for whatever reason because, you know, someone had a doctor's appointment. It would literally feel like my skin was crawling. 
I felt really empty, disturbed, depressed, and overall just a state of unease. And that was if any of those compulsions, any of those collections, anything like that got ruined. And those feelings and that compulsive behavior carried over to a lot of other areas like eating. Now, unless I'm sick, my body doesn't seem to get the signals for when I'm full. The only signal I actually get is when I've overeaten and then I have really significant pain or I get horrible stomach aches. That's the only way I know I'm full and it sucks. When I was in Denver recently, I was a lot less hungry and I actually felt those feelings of fullness, which was so bizarre. And when I looked it up, apparently at higher elevations, you produce more leptin, which is a hunger hormone that tells you when you're full. Awesome. But I'm in Michigan and unfortunately they don't make synthetic leptin as far as I've ever seen. And I've actually done a lot of work to try to increase my leptin production, but it hasn't really worked very well. So I started noticing, or rather people would point out to me about my compulsive and sometimes like very ravenous eating. Like the time I ate a whole box of Nutrigrain bars on the phone with my BFF, or the time I ate like 12 of my grandpa's mini candy bars in one day. Or the first time I got drunk and I drank everything available to me. And I mean, like I shut down that basement bar. And those food compulsions and behaviors developed into binging. It was extremely hard when I was around people to eat more normally. It became second nature for me to wait to order at a restaurant. I would watch how much of something that a friend took And I would make backup plans for what I could possibly eat later in secret to feel satiated. Because what I didn't totally understand at that point was if I ever got hungry, I got really severe anxiety and I was just desperately trying to avoid those feelings. So this continued. I would wait until I saw what other girls got for lunch and then I would copy it. Other than going through the process of becoming vegetarian, which was me which for me was mostly about ethics at the time, I was a total copycat when it came to food because I really didn't want any extra attention in that area. Like I can, I can straight up remember what I had for lunch in high school every semester. I, I mean, straight up, like I think one year all we got was like a pretzel with cheese. And then I would sit with a different group of friends and I would get exactly two bean burritos and eat one and a half. I had this one lunch period where all we ever got was green beans and on and on and on. It's just, I always did that copycat thing. I also ate really fast. And so that became an issue as well with all of the monitoring I was doing. And a few things to note here. I'm sure you've probably seen like what I look like. I feel like I certainly get enough messages about it. (laughs) So (laughs) I think people uh, know what I look like, but in case you don't, Um, I've always been taller and bigger and denser than most girls I grew up with. Like from day one, from the youngest memory I can even think of, I was always taller and bigger than every other girl I met. I felt there was always a few of us in class and it makes you self-conscious, like really self-conscious, especially in those middle school age years. And I went to private school, so it was very, you didn't have a ton of people to compare yourself to. It wasn't like when I went to public school in eighth grade. And now all of a sudden there is this like 
giant mass of of women and girls everywhere. Like, no, in private school, you're in a class with like 20 people. So there's not much of a comparison. So like when people say stuff like, oh, I miss the days I could eat whatever I wanted. I have no idea what the hell that's even like, because that was never me. I could never just eat what the hell I wanted, especially like comparison or comparisoning. Is that a word? No, of course it's not. Comparing (laughs) myself to all these other girls that I went to school with. I remember watching Maury Povich when I was a teenager. And the episode was about recovering from purging or bulimia, where you throw up your food after you eat. And I got, I mean, I don't know why people let us stay home and watch talk shows like Maury Povich and Jerry Springer, because I think we got a lot of bad ideas from them. But I got in my head that maybe that would be a good solution for me and my binging issues. Like, it would at least prevent me from gaining weight. Well, surprise, I have, like, almost no gag reflex, so that doesn't work. I mean, I probably could have been a sword swallower. It just doesn't, it just doesn't really happen. So here I am at, like, 13 years old, and I have this awful binge eating problem that I don't know what to do with. So I continue for many more years doing the copycat eating while in school, eating whatever was at home or what my mom or grandma made for dinner, but then in my free time, I would binge eat. And I never felt full, ever. If you don't know what that's like, it's think about when you're hungry, and now imagine that 24 hours a day. And that's to this day still what I feel like, and it's it's very frustrating. I don't, I don't know why I didn't talk about it more with my parents. I think just the shame was a really big issue. And I had so much else going on in my life that it stayed kind of this mainstay problem, but I got used to it. And I just never got help for it. I let it stay prevalent, but kind of in the backdrop. But it was still always existing, like this evil little monster over my shoulder. So eventually the binge eating became more compulsive. When I was hungry, my fight or flight would kick in and I would get severe anxiety. And by the time I was 17, I found myself in these cycles of binging and then restricting quite a bit, especially because my boyfriend at the time was unhappy with my weight gain senior year, which was primarily hormonal, but I didn't know that at the time, nor did I really monitor my weight like I did as an adult. Binge eating is vicious. It's like you're desperately trying to calm your body down and calm your mind down and fill this hole that can't be filled. And you were just so damn desperate to be satiated. And when I say satiated, I don't just mean in the sense of food. I mean, in your essence and feeling fulfilled and feeling loved. And I didn't stop at just binge eating either. I would binge everything. I would binge sex. I would binge sleep drinking, spending money, hobbies. I mean, you name it, I can binge it. And I will be doing an episode at some point about maybe some of these other binge habits with some experts in the future. But those are those deserve their own categories. Today, we're kind of just focusing on, on the binge eating thing because it's something a lot of women have brought up to me over the years. I'm so used to the binge purge cycle that anything other than these extremes seems completely foreign to me. It's like I can't relax when things are in homeostasis because somehow in my mind, the binge purge is point zero. That is what the new homeostasis has become. When I became a young adult, I lived with a girl 
with pretty severe anorexia. And I knew it. I knew it deep down. And she always wanted me to do these crazy crash diets with her for moral support. So I would because she was such a great friend. And I also binged my friendships as well. And I essentially enabled her in her eating disorder while simultaneously creating a worse eating disorder of my own. I would eat 1,200 calories or less per day. And then we'd have like one cheat day and I would eat like everything in the house because it's not sustainable. Like at the end of the day, none of that is sustainable. My unhappy, unhealthy relationship with food never stopped after that, ever. It was like I taught myself over and over and over again that I could binge provided that I restricted myself enough to not let it get out of control. But here come my roaring 20s and I'm drinking and eating out late and working a ton and going to school and just eating whenever, wherever. And if you couple that with a slew of some different birth controls, my weight skyrocketed. I can honestly say that I gained 60 pounds in the matter of just a few years. But what sucked is that I gained weight doing pretty much what everybody else was doing. Because remember, again, I'm a copycat eater. So I'm literally doing the same things as other people. I'm eating the same things as other people. Even even the times where we're binging. I mean, you're going out and eating dinner at a diner at 1 a.m. and you're eating the same thing as everybody else. So it really wasn't much different. So I lived with this guy for a few years. An ex-boyfriend I had, one of those engagements without the actual engagement type of thing. And we fall apart. He doesn't love me anymore. And I had gone through so many cycles of trying to get my weight under control and doing this binge purging every year. But the moment I remember most, and I can't even make this up, I got in from shoveling the snow and I'm watching The Biggest Loser on TV, which also is a very unhealthy show, but we watched it for like a decade. You know, a a ton of people did. And I was planning on starting this new diet and exercise thing the following day. So I decided to have this one last hurrah. And it's weird because I wrote the word hurrah in my script, but it was just like, I wanted this one last thing. And keep in mind, I was in this like dead, emotionless relationship. So I ended up eating like half a dozen donuts. Like in one sitting. And I don't even remember like tasting them. I just remember like wolfing them down and being so disgusted with myself about this entire situation. So of course, my engagement inevitably falls apart. I move back in with this old friend and we are like on food stamps. And with all the stress and drinking and irregular eating again, because of course our house became like the party house, I gain even more weight. And by 2013, I was like the highest I had ever been. And so, strangely enough, I worked at a juice bar. I worked at a spa, but we also had a juice bar. And I knew tons and tons about nutrition. I've done professional classes for nutrition. I've taught nutrition classes. But I knew that if I wanted to actually get my weight under control, I was going to have to be a bit more extreme and consistent. And I was. I was restrictive and it sucked, (laughs) but I did start losing weight and I got pretty healthy, but still mentally unhealthy because I became very, very obsessed with counting calories 
and my daily workouts and pushing myself more and further. And I would have these times where I just collapsed. I mean, physically and mentally collapsed. But I was successful and I lost 123 pounds in two years. Maintaining the weight loss, though, is almost impossible. And I've said it a million times because it's this haunting statement in my head. But my old boss told me, she said, Jessica, the hardest part is not going to be finishing losing the weight. It's going to be keeping it off. It's going to consume you. And she was right. And I don't think I thought I realized that at the time. But now, several years after losing that amount of weight, she was right. So by the time I hit my bottom weight number, I was working out at least twice a day. Honestly, I think it was three times a day and eating just raw vegan at that point to sustain to sustain that number. Because when, when you're losing weight and you hit a plateau, a lot of people don't understand that you have to like switch it up. So I went from like vegetarian to vegan. So I think I lost like 50 pounds being vegetarian, which I already was. Um, once I went vegan, I lost another 75, like right off the gate and I was changing up workouts and I was doing intermittent fasting and you're just trying all these different changes, changes, changes to keep this momentum going. Obviously that became not manageable. And over the course of five years, I gained back like 30 of it. And no matter how happy I've been with my body, I constantly still end up back in a binge purge cycle. Because sometimes all the knowledge and experience in the world just doesn't help. I wished I wasn't addicted to the scale. Last year, I was in a fitness magazine. I was in Strong Fitness Magazine. And I was 23 pounds more than my bottom weight number. I mean, I got in at a pretty high weight. And they reached out to me. I didn't apply to them. They reached out to me. I know better. I should know better, right? But society as a whole really groomed us to be addicted to our weight. And lo and behold, we still use a BMI as a reliable measurement of health. I mean, a lot of insurance companies will actually charge you a higher rate based on your BMI, which is just kind of crazy as there are so many more reliable and accurate measures of health. And especially, you know, take case in point, I have a friend that she's a professional bodybuilder. She does competitions all over the world. I mean, hers, her weight, I think it's like, it says she's overweight, but nearing the point of obese. And she is like the leanest, most muscular, like beefcake I've ever seen. And she is, I mean, the epitome of health. So it's, it's not a reliable standard. I think we all know that we're starting to know that, but it's still actually used as this base measure. Now, by no means am I promoting morbid obesity or not monitoring your weight ever, of course, I do use it as a tool, but I find it to be a rather inaccurate measure. Like when there's so many other things like fat, bone density, um, you know, height, age, hormones, there's just so many more things we can be calculating and counting. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point of sharing all this is that I know for a fact There are thousands and thousands of people going through the same thing. And I have to say, I kind of hate that I haven't miraculously healed. I work on it. I work on it every day. But in no way, even after all the work I've done, all the books I've read, all the therapy I've gone to, all the realizations and and self-care and self-help I've done in my life, I'm not healed from it. And I probably never will be. Currently, 
I am, I was not weighing myself. I am now. And that's again, like trying not to go back to that binge purge. And it's hard. But I focus more on nutrient dense foods. I try to work out four to five days a week for my health, for my strength, for my body and capabilities, and not just for my appearance. I go to therapy. I talk a lot. I do love my body. I appreciate it, actually. Regardless of any size I've been, I've modeled on and off for well over a decade and in some pretty revealing stuff, even at higher weights. I've always appreciated my good looks and been thankful. I try to identify, especially with my therapist, about my binging and my history with it and how it ties into my obsessive compulsive disorder so intensely. And if I do overeat, I try to be compassionate with myself. I don't hyper-restrict the next day or tell myself mean, horrible things because what good is that going to do? It's not. Working on and recovering from any kind of binging is therapeutically healed by repetitive self-care and self-love. And that sounds hoo-hoo, it sounds like a little woo-woo, but it's not. It's the God's honest truth. For some people, it's mental only. But for me, binging is physical and mental. And it's the worst kind of struggle because it's something physiological and it's not necessarily something I will ever be able to control or eliminate in my life. And that is a fact I have to face. I understand this. I do my best on a daily basis. I try not to set too many rules. I try to be loving. And at the end of it all, I try. Sometimes that's just it. You try. So if you are going through this, if you are on a restriction bender or you're five cookies deep in 20 minutes, just know that you are not alone in this. There is a world of supportive, wonderful people that can talk with you, relate to you, help you, listen to you, and truly empathize with you. And I am one of those people. As always, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at When Survival Looks Like Success. And if you have any questions, need a resource, need a virtual therapist, or just want someone to share your story with, please reach out. Take care, my friends.